looking at John chapter 5, beginning in verse 31, and we'll carry this on to the end of the, end of the chapter. John 5, 31, this is God's word, eternally true. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does, it, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet you make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Here ends our reading. There's a response of thankfulness that's printed up for you uh, here and in your uh, worship guide. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks indeed. Let's pray. We know that as we live in the world that we're surrounded not by everybody believing in Jesus, but that we're this, this oddity in, in the world as Jesus was an oddity, even among these people in covenant with God who claimed Moses to be the one that they followed. And, and so as, as John writes this, he gives us some understanding of what's going on with those who don't believe. What's going on with, with the most of people? And interestingly, we, and we want to note that in Jesus' day, the, the chief of non-believers were Jewish folks, people who knew the scriptures. And so Jesus calls them to task there, uh, but he gives us insight, and John gives us insight as he reports this, so that we can understand the world that's around us, and we can be grateful for what God has done to us, and what God has given us in our lives because of his work in us in the gospel and bringing us to faith. Uh, so a couple of things. We, we talked uh, about uh, uh, three testimonies that were uh, speaking of Jesus last week from this text. And, and, and now we, we go on and we speak of qualities that Jesus speaks of that need to be in somebody in order for him or her to believe. Um, and these qualities are now in the believer. But, but we uh, uh, introduce this with these three statements. And if you'd like to fill out blanks in an outline, you're welcome to do that. If you, want just, uh, if you want to just listen, that's fine too. However you best learn, that's good. But in our introduction, here's what we look at. Here's what we look at. Here's what we say. We ask the question, why do people not believe in Jesus? Okay, so that's the topic at hand. And that's what Jesus is um, recounting. That's what he's teaching here in this passage. Why is it that these Jews were not believing? So why do people not believe in Jesus? Second question, what is in or not in? What is in or not in each person at birth that affects this? So certain things are in a person from birth and certain things are not in a person from birth. That's true of us, true of everyone. And this affects 
believing in Jesus, what's in or what's not in us. Third question, what is true of a person after? What is true of a person after he has believed in Jesus? So Jesus addresses all these questions as we look at this text here. So number one in your outline, first thing God says to us this morning is that lack of belief by people in the world, lack of people, lack of belief by people in the world doesn't disprove the gospel. That's the first thing that we should recognize. We shouldn't, whether we're growing up in the faith and young and seeing, hey, you know, and if you're around a, a lot, of, lot, of, lot of people, if you're um, uh, in, a, in some situation where you're just, you know, out there, you know that most people don't believe. And this is a message from God through the Apostle John, don't be discouraged. This is normal. Uh, just because a lot of people disbelieve, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't the Son of God. He is. Salvation is only in him. Or if you've been in the faith for a while and you're just tired of being out there and, and nobody, you know, nobody believes. Um, it seemed clear to you for so long, uh, but just the, the bulk of people uh, don't believe. Uh, this is a message for you from this text. That lack of belief by people in the world doesn't disprove uh, that Jesus is God the Son. That the gospel is true. So 1A there, under, a, under 1 there, uh, A. Uh, what it shows, this disbelief, this lack of belief by most people, what it shows is that all, all of us lack at birth these three things. Everyone, every person who's been born since uh, Cain <laughs> has lacked uh, these three things. First thing that we lack from birth. First thing that we don't naturally have because of the fall. Number one, from birth we lack God's word dwelling in us. We lack God's word dwelling in us. Look at verse 38 in this passage. Verse 38. Jesus says, um, God's word does, does, or nor does God's nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. So Jesus is explaining the disbelief of the Jews that are there in his presence. And he said, if God's word dwelled in you, you would have believed in me. But since God's word does not dwell in you, you do not believe the one that he sent, i.e. me, Jesus. So that's something that needs to be in a person for him or her to believe. God's word. Um, verse uh, uh, 39. Um, look there, 39. Jesus says, you diligently study the scriptures. Skip a few words. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. So, God's word wasn't, isn't in a person. And even people who, who study God's word, like these Jews, likely the Pharisees who were arguing with them there, unless the lights are on, unless the spirit of God is in them, they have no understanding of it. God's word was not dwelling in them. And so they didn't come to Jesus for life. So Jesus says, first of all, a person needs to have God's word in him or her in order to come to Jesus to have life. Look at verse 45. Skip down to there. Verse 45, Jesus says, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. This is talking about final judgment. When you arrive at final judgment and I'm the judge, which he's just said in verses 22 and 26, um, he said, do not think that I will judge you before the Father, that I'll accuse you before him. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. So here's the irony. You know, they were saying, Moses, Moses, Moses. And they were studying Moses, Moses, Moses. They were even rejecting Jesus because of Moses. You know, later in chapter 8, you'll say, we, you know, they say, we follow Moses. You know, that's why we don't believe in you. 
But Jesus uh, says to them, if you believed Moses, verse 36, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. If you believed Moses, if his word was in your hearts, you would see me and believe. You would get the connection. You would see the things that Moses was saying about me. You would see the things that Moses taught even in the, the ceremonial law about sacrifices and, and about sin and about righteousness. And those things that you'd learn and that would be in your heart from Moses would connect you up and help you to see that I am the one you should believe in. But Moses' law, though you study it, it's not in your heart. If Moses' law were in your heart, you would have believed because Moses speaks of me. He wrote about me. Then Jesus says in verse 47, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Of course, this, you know, you can imagine the furor that would come in them. He's just told them who say, we believe in Moses. You don't believe in Moses. And here's how I prove it. You don't believe in me. That's the proof. God's word is not in you. If God's word were in you, you would have believed in me. You would have recognized all the things about me. You'd have recognized the miracles that I'm doing, all the things that testify about me that I've just talked to you about. And you would have believed, you would have believed in me. So people don't believe in Jesus because God's word is not in them. Okay. Um, we'll come back to this. But number two, number two. From birth, a person naturally lacks love for God. Okay, so that's the second thing. First thing, first reason why people don't believe is they, they don't have God's word in them. Second reason they don't believe in Jesus is because they don't love God. Okay, again, Jesus is, 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 is digging up fury for himself <laughs> from among the Jews there. He's telling them, who say, we love God and the world doesn't. He's saying, you don't love God because you don't believe in me. Um, so from birth, we lack love for God. Look at verse 42, where Jesus talks about this. Verse 42, he says, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You talk about him all the time. You boastfully talk about how much you know from the Bible, from the Old Testament, from the scriptures, but you don't have the love of God in your hearts. Verse 43 I have come in my Father's name, and you don't accept me. You know, if you really love somebody, think about this. If you really love somebody, and and, and you're, you're, the person you love sends a friend of his to you, you, you greet that you greet that person, and there's a natural love there. Uh, I met one of you this morning and found out, you know, there's a Penn State background. I have a great dear friend of mine who's from Penn State. You graduated two years separate. So there's this natural affinity there, right? You know, if someone, someone comes from the same place, you know, if you meet somebody from the same place that, you know, where you grew up or whatever, you're like, there's this, there's this affinity. I was eating dinner with Bo on Thursday and an Alabama guy comes in. Bo says, roll tight. <laughs> there's this natural affinity. If you love somebody and they send somebody to you, you love them. And Jesus said, the Father sent me and you've rejected me. And that's evidence that you don't love God. So um, they don't love God. They don't have love for God. So when Jesus shows up in God's name, having been sent from the Father, they don't love him either. Um, now, third thing. So people don't believe in Jesus because they don't have God's word dwelling in them. They don't believe in Jesus because they don't love God. They may claim both of these things, especially the latter today. There'll be people who claim they love God and reject Jesus. And Jesus says, you don't have that option because I am God. Number three, third thing from birth that people don't naturally have that you and I didn't naturally have. From birth, we lack valuing praise from God. We lack valuing praise from God and a desire to please him above pleasing people. See, we like praise from people. 
We like pleasing people. And that dominates us from birth. Uh, we value praise from people. That's your blank there. Instead of valuing praise from God. Now think about God at final judgment. What Jesus talks about. When you lived your life for him. What's Jesus say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's praise from God to you. And, 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 and you can live your life for that, right? You know, certainly Paul was. You know, we, we, we live to please God, he says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5. It's what we're to live our lives for as, as believers. But, but if you don't live your life valuing what God says of you, if you don't live your life valuing God's approval of you, um, then that's something that's something that'll cause you to reject Jesus. We'll seek praise from other men, from other women, instead of praise from God. So verse 41 there, look at verse 41. Jesus said, I do not accept praise from men. You're, he knows it. You're all going to misevaluate me. Every one of you is going to misevaluate me, except my mom. <laughs> She'll be there at the cross for me. Uh, but an angel spoke to her. So she kind of had a, you know, an advanced little thing of who Jesus was. Um, but, but he knows that <laughs> he knows this. everyone's going to misevaluate him. So he doesn't care what people think of him. Now he does in the sense that he offers salvation through belief in him. But he doesn't adjust what he's doing and what he's saying based on, ooh, will they approve of me if I say this? Will they approve of me if I do this? He's not living any of his life in this way. He says, I don't accept, you know, I don't accept the praise from men. Um, as he said in chapter two, I know what's, because I know what's in men's hearts. So it just doesn't, it just doesn't mean a lot to me. You know, it's like when a three or three or four year old says, you're the, you're the best basketball player ever. You know, it's like cute. <laughs> but it really doesn't mean I'm better than Michael Jordan, right? It doesn't mean, you, you don't take much stock in that. And Jesus didn't take stock in what men said because men are, they <laughs> don't believe in him. They, they will get it wrong. Um, if someone's worried about the praise of men, craving what, what people think of him or her, this will mean they do not accept Jesus as God the Son. Then, no, we get that. If you accept Jesus as God the Son, you're immediately going to be persecuted. And so if you care what people think of you, <laughs> you're not going to take that step and believe, are you? Because you, you care about the persecution. You care about what men are saying. You care about what people are saying. She says, I'm an idiot because I believe. Or he says, I'm an idiot because I believe. Or you're one of those religious fanatics that affects, if that's affecting a person, he won't believe in Jesus because he knows what's coming. Even during Jesus' day, any Jew, faithful Jew, who was waiting for a king to arrive, which they hadn't had in 600 years, a Christ, a Messiah to arrive, a king, um, they knew the Jews' opinion. We're going to see in chapter, we're going to see in chapter eight and chapter nine. Um, you know, they're going to put anyone out of the synagogue and out of fellowship. They're going to excommunicate anyone who stands behind Jesus including the man born blind and the parents see that and they say, uh, we're not going to answer. Ask our son what he thinks about Jesus because <laughs> they care about the praise of men. They care about what the, the Jews are saying or, or anyone else. And so that's true today. Why don't people believe in Jesus? Because they know what's coming. If they believe in Jesus, they know they're going to be an oddity on the earth. They know they're going to face persecution. No, they know they're going to feel uncomfortable in situations. Like Jesus said in John 15, right? That, that, Jim, read, that Jim read for us. If, you're, if you were of the world, the world would accept you. You know, if you're of the world, the world pats you on its back and says, hey, buddy, how's it going? But you're of me, and so the world hates you. And so people, if, if a person cares about what the world says, he will not believe in Jesus. This is Jesus' point. So verse 44, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another? If you're accepting praise from one another, how is it that, you know, how can you possibly, how can you believe? 
um, yet you make no effort to obtain the praise that comes that comes from the only God. That's who believes in Jesus, right? The one who wants praise from God. They they accept Jesus. They they believe in Him. Verse forty four. Now B one B. Note something here. Uh, note that Jesus proposes a hypothetical person here. Okay, so who believes? This is a hypothetical person because we've just said we're born without the word of God in us. We're born without a love for God and we're born valuing the praise of people instead of the praise that comes from God. Everybody, this is true of. But Jesus puts forward here a hypothetical person who would believe. Um, so uh, going down here, uh, or um, we've got a person who, who's got God's word dwells in him. The love of God is residing in him. And he has a desire to please God and not men. Desire to re receive praise from God rather than praise from men. So B here, here's your B. Jesus indicates that if a person had any of those things resident, resident in him, he would believe, he would believe and come to Jesus for life, to obtain life. Um, now let's look at this word of God. Jesus said in, in verse 38 there, nor is his word dwell in you for you do not believe the one he sent. In other words, if a person had God's word dwelling in him, he would believe Jesus instead of reject him. Love of God, verse four, verses 42 and 43. Verse 42. I know you, he says, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. In other words, if a person had the love of God in his heart, he would see Jesus or hear of Jesus and believe. And then the third thing, a desire for praise from God. Verse 44, look there. Jesus says, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? If one is making effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God, he'd believe, Jesus says. So in other words, if you cared about this approval, Praise from God, you'd believe. Uh, but such a person, um, with God's word dwelling within him from birth, with a natural love for God, and a heart-seated desire to please God, um, valuing praise from him, we know that such a person is just hypothetical because Jesus has said that person doesn't exist. So, number one there, Jesus indicates here that no one has these things. No one has these things. Uh, and that instead, number two, number two, one must be drawn by the Father to Jesus. God has to do something. God has to be active upon a person because a person, even as diligent as the Jews, studying the scriptures, knowing Moses, it wasn't good enough they study the scriptures thinking that in them they had life, but that was the scriptures don't give life like uh, Paul says in, in Galatians 3.21. You know, God, God didn't give a law that has life in it. The law is good and holy and righteous, but there's no life. There's no power in the law. And so God has to work. And so that's what Jesus talks about later and what Jim read for us from John 6, uh, 44, and I think verse 51 too. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God has to do a work to, to interrupt these three things that we don't have that keep us, that keep us from, from believing. So uh, John 6, it's 65. John 6, 65. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. That's what we had in our, our uh, confessing our faith this morning. What is effectual calling? It's the work of God's Spirit, whereby it's on the, your front, the front page of your worship guide there. 
effectual calling. This is talking about this, what Jesus talked about in verse 44 and 65 of John 6. Effectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills. He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. So the gospel is freely offered to everybody, what we call the universal call of the gospel. It's freely offered to everybody, but it's taken by nobody unless the Father enables, by the Holy Spirit, enables a person to believe and, and come to Jesus. This is why Jesus says, this is why you haven't believed. This is why you haven't come to me. So number two, number two, good news, good news. God gave, God gave you as a Christian upon spiritual birth, the three things you lacked from your physical birth. So you were born and you lacked those three things. But God gave you upon your spiritual birth, he gave you those things. So A, since you are believing that Jesus is the Son of God, some things must be true of you, according to what Jesus has said here. So A, since you are believing that Jesus is the God, the Son, you have accept and have accepted him, it means that not only did the Father enable you to believe and come to Jesus, which you wouldn't have done naturally, but also, number one, A1, God gave you his word to dwell in you. This is what God did when he saved you. You didn't have God's word dwelling in you or you would have believed on your own and you could, you could boast. But instead, salvation is by grace and by mercy. And what God does is he gives you this component that you didn't have. He causes God's word to dwell in you. Listen to how James describes the point of your salvation, what happened in your soul, what happened in your person when you believed. James 1.21. James says, when you believed the gospel, the word was planted in you. That's James' description, James 1.21, of what happened to you at the point of salvation. The word of God, the gospel, was planted in you in you. And now you have the seed of the gospel. Think of the parable of the sower. The seed of the gospel is going out. And on the hard soil, it just bounces, right? But in the good soil, it sinks down and it's deep. And that seed of the gospel remains in a person and it grows roots and it produces fruit. The fruit of the other, the fruit of the spirit obedience unto Jesus, uh, uh, all these things that are pleasing to God in heaven, like when Job was pleasing to God in heaven. So God gave his word to you to dwell in you. And, and you can know this as a believer, that God's word dwells in you. It's been planted in you, Matthew 13. You're the good soil. You're producing fruit, fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and that this gospel message was implanted upon you, James 121. And so as a result, A, as a result, you are believing and the Bible and Jesus himself makes sense to you. Now the Jews, they studied the Bible and it didn't make sense to them. They studied the Bible and it didn't add up to Jesus standing before them. But now you read the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and you say, this makes sense. And this is because the word has been implanted in you. Verse 38, when Jesus says, nor does God's word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You've believed the one he sent. That means God's word dwells in you. In other words, those who have God's word planted in them are people who get it. People who understand. So like Jesus said, often quoting Isaiah, there are people who hear and there are people who hear. There are people who see and there are people who see. And so it's, it's that, you know, the, the see and understand are synonyms, right? And God uses 
synonyms. <laughs> and so it's like when you're explaining to someone, you're fixing a car and you're showing your, your kid you know, how to fix a car. And you say, see, you put this right here and you're not sure he gets it. You're not sure he understands. So you say, see? Okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. You put it right there. Okay. Uh, and so that's what's going on. So like uh, now that we have God's word implanted in us, that's why we understand the scriptures. Paul explains this further in 1 Corinthians 2 when he writes in verse 12 and following. He says this. We, talking to Christians in Corinth, Paul says, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we may, key word, that we may understand. We've received the spirit from God. This is 1 Corinthians 2.12. We've received the spirit from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. There's a spiritual understanding. There's an understanding that we have because the Spirit of God is within us. We understand the words of God, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. In verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 2, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But we have, verse 6, 16, we have the mind of Christ. The Word of God has been implanted in us, and so we understand the Scriptures. B, B. Um, not only because the word of God's in us do we um, believe and, and the Bible and Jesus makes sense to us, but also B, uh, we become people who pursue knowing God's word. And that's really the, the uh, takeaway for us here. We're to be people who pursue knowing God's word. You know, before, you know, it's like Mark Twain, right? The, the one who doesn't read, has no, the one who can read and doesn't has no advantage over the man who can't read. Uh, it, it's us. Now we can understand the word of God and we are to be propelled by that into understanding his word more and more. So we read it and we hear it taught because now we have this ability because the word of God has been implanted in us to understand it all the more. And so that's, a, that's a, a, an exhortation for us as we read this. God's word is implanted in us. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. Learn it more and more. This is an ability that you now have that the unbeliever doesn't have to understand the word of God. And this is of great advantage to you and to me. So B is pursue knowing God's word to know God better. Uh, our our uh, call to worship this morning on the front page there. Look what it says about God's word in the Christian. So Colossians 3.16, one of the great 3.16 passages. There are a lot of great 3.16s in Scripture. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you, how does that happen? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Basically, Solomon in Proverbs describes wisdom as God's word, as God's law. If you know God's word, if you know God's law, then you're wise. If you know it and pay no attention to it, then you're a fool. Or if you don't know it at all, you're a fool. But wisdom is equated basically in, in uh, uh, Proverbs with knowing God's word. And so he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And so the word of God is something that we're to be about. The Bible is to be something we're to be about and so there are lots of things you can read all through the day. Make sure you're reading God's word. Make sure you're not just like unbelievers who are reading all kinds of other stuff um, instead. But pursue that. Um, Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This should be a part of you as a Christian, that you're meditating on the truth of God day and night. Having, having read it and know that you can extend God's word being in your heart by reading and thinking on God's word, the Bible. Psalm 119.11 similarly says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
So this is something we do. We've get, got this base. The gospel seed has been planted in our heart. And in the New Testament, the word of God and the gospel are basically synonyms. So the word of God gets planted in our heart, but then we expand upon that. We grow. We have a base. You know, we've got a, we've got a pie crust there, but we, we keep putting in the cherry filling. Okay, and that's by our reading the word of God and being taught the word of God and our meditating upon it as we're going through, as we're going through our day. Now, number two, number two, since you are believing that Jesus is God, the son and have accepted him, it means not only did the father enable you to believe and come to Jesus, but also in addition to having God's word implanted in you, God gave you a love for him. See our, our reasoning here, our logic, because you believed it means these things must now be present in you. Um, so we could we could just um, derive this or deduct this, right, Mallory? We could deduct this from, uh, we were working on uh, deduction and induction stuff on Friday night <laughs> with the logic class she's in. Um, but we could, we could deduce this. I have believed, you know, all people who believe, Jesus says, you know, it's general, it's deduction. All people who believe have God's word dwelling in them, um, have a love. For, have a love uh, for, for God uh, in, in them and have a desire to please God. I have believed, therefore, these three things are now true of me. Okay, and so that's what we're doing here. So God gave you a love for him. We can deduce this, but we also saw it in our uh, declaration of the gospel this morning. You can look, you can look at that at, on the front page there, First Peter 1. Peter talks about this. Um, in verse three, there at the beginning, he says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord, Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth. So there's that father's enabling you, changing you, changing your soul. He's enabled you. He, he's given us new birth. And then verse eight, um, after the ellipsis there, the three dots, though you have not seen him, yet you love him. This is something that's true for the Christian, the one who's believed, for the one who's been given new birth. The ones who have been given new birth now love him. We love Jesus, even though we've never seen him. John, or uh, Peter writing about AD 66 uh, to people who weren't in the promised land and had never seen Jesus there. So our, our, our desire there also is to extend this. Just like we said, God's word was implanted in us. I need to extend my knowledge of God's word so that I know God better. Now we say, okay, the love of God has been planted in our hearts, as Paul says in Romans 8, from which we cry out, Abba, Father. But, but the love of God has been planted in our hearts. And so the next line there for you, grow. Grow in that love for God. Grow in your love for God. Um, we know from Jesus, and when Jesus asked this question of others, uh, what's the, the greatest commandment in the law? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And this makes sense for us, doesn't it, with this Jesus who's died uh, for us, that we would do this. And so we want to have a, as a goal in our lives, not only to grow in God's word, but also to grow in our, our love for God. That's the bottom line, growing in our love for God. And then number three, since you're believing that Jesus is the God, the Son, and you've accepted him, it means that not only did the Father enable you uh, to come to Jesus, uh, but also God gave you a desire to please him and to receive praise from him. God gave you a desire to please him and to uh, 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 receive praise from him. Um, you know, God gave to me, due to no merit of my own, uh, I think really good parents. And, and I just, that's just fortunate. I didn't do anything, you know. It, it, so, you know, if your parents weren't great, that doesn't mean I'm better than you. It's just God had a different course in life for us. Uh, but he gave me parents who, who loved me really well. And they supported me, they encouraged me, they instructed me in how to do things. And, and one of the things that I, I think was really great about my parents is they never forced me to do anything. 
I did a lot of things as a kid growing up. I just enjoyed doing different stuff and learning how to do things, but they never pressured me. And, and, and I remember when I was playing Stinky in, in Little League Baseball in fifth grade in the summer between fifth and sixth grade, and my dad was talking to me about how I was not playing real well. <laughs> and, 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 and he said to me, and it was a great conversation. It, it really helped me, and I started playing better later in the season. But in the conversation, he said, John, you don't have to play baseball. And it was just completely sincere. And he was always like this. And my mom was always like this. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to play piano, whatever it is. You don't have to do these things. So you don't have to play baseball, John. But, you know, if you've been around me a while, you know what he's going to say next. But John, if you're going to play, play. It's no fun to be no good out there, right? I say, I know. It stinks when you overthrow the first baseman. It does. It's an awful feeling. You know, and I did that or throw it in the dirt over to him or make the wrong decision. You know, he talked to me about being Johnny on the spot. <laughs> that was one of my dad's expressions. But, but, but they never pressured me to play. And so I quit baseball. You know, I, I finished out that season well, but I never picked it up again. Uh, really didn't play that. And, you know, and, and but um, so they were really good. But, but when I did play, one thing I really enjoyed um, I enjoyed getting good, as good at something as I could. That's why I quit golf. I couldn't get good at it, so I just quit. It's no fun to be bad. <laughs> but one thing I really enjoyed growing up in, in my life was accomplishing something because if I, could, if I could win an award, right, or if I could get some place, or if I could win a game or score a goal, that honored my parents. Um... But I loved hearing my parents say, way to go, John. From the stands. And they weren't saying, okay, now we accept you back as our son. <laughs> they didn't care. They, I was their son no matter what. Know this with God. You're his son. You're not doing things to gain his approval. Get over that. Okay? You're his son no matter what. He's cheering for you. And when you don't think, do things well, he's like, oh, shoot. But it's not like, oh, shoot, because he's disapproving of you. He knows the joy that you you know, didn't have. And he's rooting for you. And he's doing all kinds of things in your failure so that next time you'll do well and you'll get to enjoy, you know, the, the goodness of, of, of walking in his ways. Uh, not because then he'll approve you. It's he always approves you of you. He always loves you. But when the one who really loves you says, way to go, because you've done something good, there's nothing like that. You know, I, I coaches some who loved me and some who didn't and teachers who loved me and, 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 and plenty of praise and disapproval <laughs> along that line. But no coach, no instructor, no teacher's praise ever meant as much to me as when my parents said, John, we love you. We're so proud of you. You know, and, and I lived for that. I loved that. I love accomplishing stuff. And in sports, when I was exhausted, I kept going. Because I was great to hear my mom and to hear my dad. And to hear them say, boy, John, you were tired. But man, when you, that ball came in front of you, you got your toe on that thing. That was awesome. And that meant more than, than a coach saying, way to go, John, you won the game for us, or you helped us, you know, tie the game or whatever it was. You know, they had ulterior motives. They weren't going to die for me. You know, I had, I had a coach sophomore year in high school, and he was just trying to get a varsity job somewhere. <laughs> and so he encouraged us because it helped him, right? But this is the kind of thing with God. God loves us thoroughly. He proved it in Jesus. Right, All your sins, all your failures in the future were in Jesus' body on the cross because the Father loved you and he put your sins there in Jesus' body because he loved you so much. He's the one. God is the one who died for you. And so to hear from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. His word means more than anyone else's. You know, and, and 
you know, you folks are kind to me and, and you know, if, if I, I preach here and I've said something that helps you out and you say, boy, that was really helpful. Thank you, John. I really, I do appreciate that. I really do. But it's nothing compared to if Jesus says to me, well done. Way to preach that. The culture's not saying that. The church isn't saying that. And that's my word. And you said it. And you didn't care what people said about you. If Jesus says that to me, oh man. Right? And that's where we're to be as, as believers. And all our little obediences and our middle obediences and our, our big obediences in life. To live for the one whose opinion counts. Everyone else's opinions are just going to fall to the ground at final judgment, aren't they? Right? If you have a father or mother who didn't approve of you, get to the place as much as you can where you say, who cares? Their opinion does not count. If they don't approve of me, that's a condemnation on them. Their job was to approve of me. Their job was to encourage me. Their job was to send me into life to succeed. And they didn't do that. And that's on them. God from heaven says, I approve. And so, I love you guys. And I, I love and I know some of you have had parents who didn't approve of you. And I'm yelling for you and I'm yelling with you. God approves of you and he's got it right. And he's not happy with the way your mom or dad disapproved of you in your life. That was their job and they didn't do it. And he tells you to honor them. But he doesn't tell you to accept their opinion. Okay? Be like Jesus. Don't care. Don't care about the opinion of men in your life. Don't care about the opinion of women in your life. The opinion that counts is Jesus' opinion. The opinion that counts is the Father's opinion. And their opinion is, here's the Father's opinion, Jesus, I love him. Go and save him. Go and bear his sins in your body. Go get humiliated for him. And Jesus' opinion of you is this, I'll do it. One of, the, one of the passages I love the most in, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that Jesus despised the shame of the cross, but for the joy set before him, he went to it. That joy is dying for you. That joy is you being with him for eternity. Okay? So, uh, regardless of how you're treated in life, love your mom and dad, honor your mom and dad, whether dead or alive. Um, but if, if the, the opinion that counts is the opinion of the one above, the opinion, the opinion that Jesus cared about, his father's opinion. So live your life with a desire to please him. He's the one whose opinion counts. Uh, not the non-believer beside you who says you're crazy for believing. His opinion doesn't count. It's gonna fall. It's gonna fall to the earth. Um, so, um, like these other two things, uh, next line there for you. Increase in this. Increase in this. Increase in this desire to please God above people. We all struggle with this. I struggle with this, the desire to please people, and sometimes I don't speak or act as I should because I'm worried about their opinion. I'm worried about their opinion of me, someone else, and uh, thinking I'm weird or something like that. But increase in this. Have this be a goal in your life. Like Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, 9, and 15, he says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. He died for all, verse 15, uh, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5. He died for all that those who live, who have spiritual life, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. First Peter 1, 7, you've got that there. Uh, or no, you don't. I skipped that. I should have just included that there. First Peter 1, 7 says, These have come so that your faith, refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, Peter talks about um, 
hardship that we have in our lives. Hardship that we have in our lives. And he says, these have come so that as you endure these hardships out of your faith in Jesus, this will result for you in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's the well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've endured hardship, you've endured difficulties, you've endured things that should that we're all enduring things we weren't framed to endure because sin is in the world and and when we endure those things uh, imperfectly as we do but endure those things uh, it results peter says in first peter 1 7 in praise and glory and honor when jesus is revealed and that's a central thing in life for us as christians uh, we grow in our desire to please god and the um desire to please People wanes, diminishes, decreases. We desire to hear the praise of Jesus. Um, so increase in this desire. So summary, summary for you there at the end. Know that disbelief, know that disbelief that Jesus is God the Son, know that disbelief that Jesus is God the Son is not, is not from a lack of proof available to the thinking person, but from these things. Not understanding the Bible. Okay, if the Jews around Jesus had understood their Bibles, they would have believed. Anna and Simeon did in the temple, didn't they? They understood their Bibles. And, and so they rejoiced. Two, um, their lack of belief uh, uh, is, if, for, well, I'll just read it here, from not having a love for God. Comes from that. And lack of belief comes from valuing the praise of people. Comes from valuing the praise of people. Just be encouraged as believers. Their lack of believing is cowardice. See, so be encouraged. You've been courageous in believing because you knew what was coming to you. And you've believed and you've, you've held, or as John says in Revelation, you've held on to your testimony of faith. You've maintained your, your faith that Jesus is God's son and that he is the source of my salvation. You've been courageous. You've valued the praise of God over the praise of people. So be encouraged with that. Now, in contrast, in your last statement there, in contrast, you should live pursuing knowing God's word, growing in your understanding. Okay, so grow in pursuing knowing God's word. Grow pursuing... Uh, loving God himself, grow in that, loving God himself, and live pursuing, valuing God's praise. Grow in your valuing God's praise of your life above the praise of people. That's a challenge for us all, isn't it? Let's pray.